Uh, I want to uh, introduce to you our guest speaker today. Our guest speaker is a longtime friend of New Life. Uh, when I first started coming to New Life almost 10 years ago, um, when I joined staff here, uh, Ephraim Smith preached here. And when I heard him preach, I remember where I was uh, sitting in the room as I heard him preach about uh, this, uh, this animal called the Impala. It was not the car, the animal, the, the Impala. And I never forgot uh, this sermon. And um, he blessed me then, and he blessed me the first service. He's going to bless you today. Currently, Ephraim serves as the president and CEO of World Impact, which is an urban missions organization committed to the empowerment of the urban poor through the facilitation of church planting movements and leadership development. And prior to uh, doing what he's doing right now, he served as senior pastor and founding pastor of the Sanctuary uh, Covenant Church in Minnesota. He currently lives in Oakland uh, with his wife, uh, Denicia, and their two teenage uh, daughters. And uh, he has a way of preaching uh, that'll stay with you uh, for years to come. And so whatever you hear today, I'm sure 10 years from now, you're going to be able uh, to recall it. Uh, he was with us yesterday at our racial reconciliation conference uh, where we had over 225 folks from around the city come, which was a fantastic time. And just as a heads up, uh, the recording, the video, the talks will be posted in a couple of weeks if you weren't able to make it. So that was fantastic. But he hasn't been with us in a while. And so we want to let him know how much uh, we've missed him. And so join me in giving Ephraim a Elmhurst, Queens Boulevard welcome as he comes up. Well, I am so honored to be back here at New Life Church. This, this New Life Fellowship is just uh, a blessing uh, for me. A few years ago, uh, a number of years ago, when I was a young uh, lead pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I was fortunate to be a part of a, um, a church that was urban and multiracial. It was young, but it was growing pretty fast. And so I felt like at 30 years old, I needed to go and learn from someone about, you know, how to, how to grow an urban, multiracial church. And so I, I was researching various churches around the country, and I found this church, and uh, I knew some of the leaders in the youth ministry at the time, and so they invited me to speak at a youth event, and then um, I was invited to come back and preach on Sunday, and I thought, you know, while, while I'm here, I'm going to meet with this Pastor Pete Cazero, and I'm going to pick his brain and learn how to grow an urban, multiracial church. And so we, we went to lunch to this pizza place. And uh, while we're sitting there, I, I'm thinking, okay, I've got my notebook and my pen. I'm ready to learn how to grow a multiracial church. And he looked at me and he said, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you about that. He said, he said, I, I don't want to talk to you about how to grow your church. I want to talk to you about how you can grow. And then he started asking me these questions about, about my life, about my marriage and my kids and with God. And it, it was a pivotal turning point in my life. And I'm forever, forever grateful for that. And so it's an honor to be back here, to be with Pastor Pete, with Pastor Rich, and, and just to share this time with you. There is a word uh, that we find in the book of Galatians, chapter 2, beginning with verse 20. Galatians 
chapter 2, beginning with verse 20. Paul is writing and he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. From this text, sisters and brothers, I want to preach to you on the title, Dying to Live. Dying to Live. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be preaching, and I would just be the vessel, the vehicle that you've decided to use to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. God, I desire to be obedient to your word, so please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Dying to live. Growing up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I had a favorite uncle. His name was Wes. Wes was my favorite uncle. He was really my great uncle because he's my dad's uncle. And so uh, he would come by the house uh, when I was a kid growing up. He'd usually come by on Saturdays and he would always have money and candy for me and my younger brother Tremaine. So he was my favorite uncle. I mean, he'd come in the house, my dad would answer the door, and he'd walk past my dad like he wasn't even there. And he'd come right to me and my younger brother, and he'd give us a quarter, 50 cents, if we were lucky, a dollar, and then like a Kit Kat bar, or a Three Musketeer bar, or Milky Way bar. My Uncle Wes was my favorite uncle. I mean, I looked up to him. He was, he was a giant of a man, and, and he, he, he had this good smelling cologne that he would always wear. He was always dressed nice. I mean, even when he came by on Saturday, he would have like dress slacks on and a nice shirt. I mean, he was just a cool dude to me. He was my favorite uncle. And, and uh, as I got older and I became a young pastor, my Uncle Wes became ill, deathly ill. And I remember the day when we knew that it would not be much longer before my Uncle Wes would pass. And as a young preacher, as a young pastor, I was on my way to visit my Uncle Wes, my favorite uncle who was deathly ill. And I was nervous because my Uncle Wes was not a Christian. I looked up to him. He was my favorite uncle, but he was not a Christian. And here I was, a young preacher, on my way to the hospital. He's deathly ill, and I don't know what to say. I mean, now this is awkward. This is weird, because I should know what to say. I'm the Christian. I'm the preacher. I'm the pastor. This is what you do. You go visit people, and you go as a shepherd, and to care, and to have words from the Lord. But I, I was so intimidated. I didn't know what I was going to say to my favorite uncle. This giant of a man who was dying and I went into uh, the hospital and I, and I went to the front desk to get the room he was staying and I'm going up on the elevator and I still don't know what to say how can this be how can I not know what to say to my dying uncle and I go into the hospital room and he's smiling and he says to me hey little reverend he said that's what they call you right reverend he said, I knew you were going to come by to see me, little reverend. Come on in. And so I went in, and I was shocked that he was smiling. I mean, by this time, both of his feet had been amputated. One of his legs under the knee. He's lying there. And he's smiling. 
He said, yeah, little reverend, I know what you're coming to talk to me about. He said, man, but you don't have to worry about me. He said, a few days ago, I was laying here with no feet and half a leg, feeling sorry for myself. He said, and then I looked over and I noticed that somebody left a Bible. And I said, no, nah, uncle, the Bible's in every room at the hospital. They didn't leave that for <laughs> He said, well, anyway, I saw the Bible there, little reverend. And uh, I picked it up and I started reading it. And it reminded me as a little boy when my mom used to take me to church. He said, and I started thinking of the songs that we used to sing when I was a little boy. And he said, I gave my life to Christ. So you don't have to worry about me because I'm a Christian now. I know where I'm going. Man, I'm going to be a part of that cloud of witnesses. I was like, he's pretty good for a three-day-year-old Christian. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, he's got this down, this three-day-old Christian. And he's like, don't worry about me. I'm going to be a part of the cloud of witnesses. He says, this is what you need to do, little reverend. He said, what you need to do is, is while you can still run, he said, my only chance at, at, at living for Christ and allowing Christ to live through me, my only chance is people coming in here that don't know Christ. He said, while you can still run, while you have both of your feet, you need to represent God in this world. Tell as many people as you know about God and life in Christ. And that was my last conversation. I had with my Uncle Wes, my last conversation with my favorite uncle. It's tough dealing with death when somebody we love dearly passes away. I mean, even though I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor, I've always wrestled with this issue of death, of dying. I mean, my, my dad, when I was growing up, he, he loves the blues. And so he would listen to this blues song. I don't even know who the singer who the artist was, but he, he, would, he would listen to this song all the time. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But that song kind of haunted me for some reason as a kid growing up. I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't sometimes I just struggle with thinking about that. Though, if God would ask me how I want to die, I mean, I'd tell God. If God would ask me, I mean, if God would say, oh, hey, how do you, I mean, is, when you, how do you want to pass that? I would say, oh, I'm so glad you asked me, God. This is what I, I want to turn 100 years old, and I'm on my 100th birthday. I want to wake up, and, and, and I want to eat a meal because my parents are from the South. So I want to have a meal of fried catfish, macaroni and cheese, yams, collard greens, cornbread, and I want a tall glass of grape Kool-Aid that real sweet, like syrup, like real sweet. And then on the other side of that, I want a bowl of warm peach cobbler with two scoops of vanilla bean ice cream melting, just dripping off the side of the bowl. And when I get done eating all that, I just want to fall into a deep spiritual sleep and then wake up and see Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Holy glory in the highest. Like that. But that's my vision for me. But the problem is, God, for whatever reason, hasn't asked me that. But there is an invitation into a death for my liberation, for my empowerment, that God invites all of us into daily. To die in Christ so that we might live for Christ. To die to, to some things in our being so that we can live 
for Christ in such a way that in this upside down, broken world, we can, we can extend the justice, the truth, the love, the reconciliation of God. Let me tell you one more thing my Uncle Wes told me in that last conversation. He said to me, he said, little reverend, I mean, he could have said Ephraim, I don't know why that. He said, little reverend, I've lived my life upside down. He said, but when I came to Christ, God set me right side up. We live in an upside down world, sisters and brothers. An upside down world of racial division, of political dysfunction, of extreme ideologies at war, uh, violence as the primary means of solving conflict. We, we live in an upside down world and if there was ever a need, a season for the church to extend the right side up love and truth and transformation and justice of God, that time is now. But for us to do that collectively as the church, we all must individually and in community wrestle with the things that we need to die to so that we can live more for Christ. What if discipleship, what if Christian formation and maturity was about dying daily so that I can live more freely in Christ? Amen. If there's anybody that knew about dying, it was Paul. I mean, the weight, the smell, the threat of death was around him all the time. I mean, he was imprisoned sometimes to torture prisoners, some scholars say that they would sometimes take a body that had already died and tie it on the back of a prisoner, torture them, to have the weight of death on them daily. Paul once was stoned, they thought to death, dragged outside of the city to die. He was once shipwrecked, he should have died. He was beaten mercifully multiple times. If anybody knew about the weight of being surrounded by the shadow of dying, it would have been Paul. And yet here in Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Christ died for a purpose, and yes, that purpose is towards our salvation, our eternal life, but it's also that so daily we can discover what it means to really be a Christian. When you become a Christian, you in an instant, by the grace of God, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are made new. You die to the old self and you come alive into a new person, a new identity. You become holy and righteous. You, you are a saint. You are a child of God. You are a citizen of the kingdom. But there are days when you probably don't feel like that. Maybe there are times when somebody cuts you off in traffic or somebody says something to you or you experience something and what comes out of your mouth or what is flowing through your head does not resemble holy and righteous and a saint and a citizen of the kingdom of God. Oh, no, 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 I'm not here to beat you up. I do the same thing. And then what I'm saying is this. 
When you become a Christian, you are holy and becoming holy at the same time. You are righteous and becoming righteous at the same time. You are a reconciler and becoming a reconciler. And so dying daily to live more freely in Christ is a part of our Christian maturity and development. People that don't embrace this will consider themselves Christians but say very immature things, make immature decisions. They will do things that will make the world say, I thought y'all were Christians. Why are you saying that? Why are you endorsing that? Why are you getting behind that? I thought you were the Christians. I thought you were the humble ones. I thought you were the ones full of grace and love and truth and justice. What are you doing? It's because we need to give ourselves over to dying daily so that we can live more for Christ. So what does that look like? Well, I want to look at another letter of Paul, the letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. Starting with verse 1, Paul says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul is doing here is giving us a framework for Christian formation and spiritual maturity. How do we die daily? Well, note this. Dying daily is directly attached to a loving, intimate relationship with God. You're, you're dying to self in intimacy with God. Now, from that foundation of a loving God is walking with us in our daily dying. From that foundation, here is a practical way, one way of looking at areas where we can die daily in order to be more like Christ in this upside down, divided, broken world. One is in our mind. He says, being of the same mind. Well, one of the ways to die daily is to reflect on what are the things in my head, in my brain, the things in my belief system that don't represent the truths of God that I need to die to? Are, are there thoughts in my head? Do I have a faulty belief system that was planted in there by a broken world? Do I have bad thoughts about myself? Do I have wrong thoughts about other people? Do I think things about people 
that I shouldn't think? Do I, it, it, people that, that are just, they're different. They come from a different background. They, they don't believe the same politics as me. Whatever it is, I have thoughts about other people and sometimes faulty thoughts about other people are just coming out of the overflow of faulty thoughts about myself. Maybe things you were told when you were a kid, when you were a boy or a girl. I know for some of us, we grew up hearing this saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's just not true. Words do hurt. Words, words can, can, can oppress. Words can, can cut and scar. And we can walk around with belief systems, with thoughts in our head that need to be dismantled, that need to be put to rest so that we can have thoughts of truth and righteousness and holiness, wisdom, knowledge, revelation from God in community together, thinking the right stuff, meditating on the right stuff. What is it you need to die to in your head? Is there stinking thinking that needs to be eradicated daily so that we can have our mind on what it means to be the beloved of God, what it means to be the bride of Christ, what it means to be holy and righteous, what it means to house the grace of God, what does it mean for you to embrace the truth that you are beloved? that you are anointed, that you are gifted, that you are resourced, that you have an amazing life purpose, you are distinctive, you bear the image and the glory of God as one who has confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Daily you must die to some things in your head so that you can live in the truth of who you really are. Next level, number two, he says having the same love. Could this be we need to explore daily, on a regular basis, things we need to die to in our heart? Because maybe in our heart we're housing unforgiveness, neglect, abandonment, uh, arrogance, pride, sustained anger, things that are festering in our heart that we need to die to, that we need to put to rest, that we need to let God do surgery on spiritually so that our heart can be more fully owned by God. What is it in your heart that you need to die to so that your heart can be more aligned with God, so that God's love, God's, God's uh, grace, the, the mystery of, of God's compassion can, can flow through you? Because what I've realized is without living daily, opening myself up to the empowerment of God, I don't really know how to love. I know how to dislike people. I've never prayed to Jesus. In the name of Jesus, help me dislike somebody. I can do that on my own. I just, I, for, what, for whatever reason, I have the power of dislike in myself. I can do that. I can just say, hey, I don't like you. See how easy that was? I didn't have to pray about it, I didn't have to fast. I didn't have to give up nothing, just that you, you know. But to love my brother, to love my sister, I need God. I need God. And then he says, in full accord, a third way to die daily is to think about, to reflect on in our behavior, the decisions we make. 
And see, this is tied to the mind and the heart. Why? Because the decisions we make, for the most part, are made at the intersection of Field Street and Think Avenue. At the intersection of Field Street and Think Avenue, we make a decision about finances, about being single, about being married, about raising kids. We make decisions at our job. You know, we, we, we make decisions and choices based on that intersection. What does it mean to have our will, our decisions, come more alive to the will of God? Three levels in which we can explore what it means to die daily. We are joining Christ in Christ's death so that we can live more faithfully empowered by the life of Christ. Ah, yes. We join him by becoming obedient like he was even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yes. Back to Galatians for a moment. It's interesting to me that before we get to Galatians 3.28, that wonderful reconciling text of there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. This phenomenal unity text, this phenomenal text of walls of division, barriers being torn down so that we can be one in Christ. Before we get to that part of Galatians, we have this being crucified in Christ. Could that mean that to be reconcilers, to truly be one, to truly uh, e extend what the mission of the church is supposed to be in this broken upside down world, we have to individually and collectively die together, give up together, sacrifice together, uh, put some things to rest. So that we can be one. And so that oneness of Christ can be extended into a divided world. We must join Christ in his death. Hey, uh, in about a month, it'll be Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And it will be a wonderful time to celebrate the life of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. And there will be people on Easter Sunday that you haven't seen in a while. Don't, don't beat them up. You know, just celebrate that they're here, that they're, they're hanging out. You know, grandmama made them come. Mama made them come. However they're here. But uh, the, the churches have great attendance, for the most part, on Easter. Because people like to celebrate the, the life of Christ. That, that Christ came out of the tomb. But I think if you're really trying to dive more deeply into spiritual maturity, you need to pray. Praise God just as much for his death as for his resurrection. Oh, yeah, we need to get into the habit of saying, I thank you, Jesus, that you let them beat you. I thank you for the scars. I thank you for the shed blood. I praise you that you allowed them to lay you on that rugged cross, that the nails went through your hands, that you allowed them to pierce you in the side, that, that they nailed your feet, that you shed blood on Calvary. Thank you for dying. And when you can praise God for his death, you can start praising God for your death. I thank you for killing me. I thank you for killing stuff in my head and in my heart and in my will that are not of you. And do not beat yourself up if you haven't died yet to everything you're supposed to. It's okay. Just celebrate where you are. You're making progress. You used to lie every day. 
Now you only lie on Thursday. Because he's, he's killing, he's putting some stuff to rest. You, you used to hate everybody. Now you only hate seven people. I mean, you're making progress because God is killing stuff in you. God is killing stuff in you. God is killing me softly with his love, killing me softly with his love, killing me softly so I can live a life of justice and love and truth. Now, now excuse me for a moment, pastors. But I, I want to talk about this soul singer. I know I'm in church, but I want to talk about this soul singer, Roberta Flack. Uh, Roberta Flack in the 1970s and years later in hip-hop culture, the Fugees, they picked this up. Uh, Roberta Flack had a song, Killing Me Softly. And uh, I know I'm in church, but the, the song uh, was about a woman who's very heavy-hearted. Maybe her heart's been broken. And she finds herself in a club, in a bar. And she's sitting there, and there's a guy on a stage singing. And she says in the song, it's like he was singing to me. He was telling me my whole life, everything I've been through, and it was killing me. I mean, this, I mean it, was, it was killing me, because he was singing right to me. Could it be that that's what God wants to do in our lives? God wants to sing to us daily. God wants to speak to the deepest places of who we are so that some things will die in us so that we can live more in him. It's okay. Open your life up to allowing God to kill you softly. Strumming my pain with his fingers. Telling my life with his words. Killing me softly with his love. Killing me softly with his words. Telling my whole life with his words. Killing me softly with his Invite the worship team to come forward. Let me everyone stand together. Let's give it up for Ephraim here as he just served us. Jesus Christ wants you to live a life that is filled with deep love and joy, and He wants you to live His life. But the way to live, like we talked last week about paradox. The way to life is through death. And maybe you sense God speaking to you about what needs to die in you today. Areas in your life that needs to die. And so as we sing a response song in worship, as we sing to God and worship God together, may the Holy Spirit begin to zero in onto that area that we say, Lord, teach me how to die to this so that I may live in the way that you're calling me to. Father, thank you for Ephraim and his gifts and scripture and everything we've experienced today. We sing to you now as a response to worship, response of gratitude. May your kingdom come, Lord. We sing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.
For I am crucified with Christ, yet it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much that he refuses to keep you the same. He wants to transform you from inside out. And so we end every gathering with prayer because God can do sometimes in a moment what will take years for you in your own strength. We believe in the supernatural power of God that's available to us. And so our prayer team is here. Maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never made a decision to say, yes, Lord, I want to die to, to, to all the things that are not of you and say yes to you. May your life fill me. If you've never done that before. If you've never said yes to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to receive you. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. If you've never made that decision before, you say, I don't know if I better make that decision. If you're, if you're even asking that question, I invite you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you and begin your journey. And for some of you here, maybe you have said yes to Jesus. Maybe you have said, yes, I want to be crucified with Christ. But you realize that there's things that are lodged in you still that you know needs to be put to death. Anger, you know, an, an anger that's been corrosive. An unforgiveness. Prejudice against others. Thank you.